Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Morning, you lot. Oh, hello, Crokey. <laughs> oh, somebody got a hangover. <laughs> wakey, wakey. Yeehaw. Good morning. Yeah, 7am here. Uh, Austin. It's oh, not early. No, it's not, I'm not. I didn't say it was early. I was just giving you a time check. Why do you sound so croaky, though? I am a little bit croaky. Uh, Slightly late night last night, but it's, um, mm-hmm. hey, celebrating a brilliant Grand Prix. What did you guys think? Well, I have to say, I have a severe case of the double Fs, the fanfare FOMO, because Damon and I were not there at COTA this year. And didn't it look great, Damon? Yeah, a little twinge of jealousy, I have to say, sitting at home watching everyone enjoying themselves. It was a fantastic show. I mean, it was a show. I mean, it was a proper Formula One showing everything it's got in the best way possible. And I wasn't there. (laughs) All singing, all dancing, jazz hands. The Americans just do sports so well. And the race did not disappoint. Oh, pink. I mean, the atmosphere at the track on all three days, you know, Friday practice, this place was packed out. There was more than 140,000 people every day. Truly passionate fans who were staying until gone 10 o'clock each evening. Uh, I went to watch Billy Joel on Saturday night. Went back to the... Yeah. He was great, by the way. Age 72. Wow. behaving Behaving like a teenager. Voice band. But the fans were still lining the paddock. I went back afterwards at 10 o'clock to get my car and fans everywhere just waiting for a glimpse of people from Formula One. Just a true, true passion. Like I haven't seen before. That was the ninth race that we've had at Cota, and it was unlike anything I've seen before. It was kicking off, wasn't it? Okay, so you're excused for being a bit croaky this morning then. But the other thing is, you know, Austin has changed. Um, the whole city has been rammed all weekend. You can't get into a restaurant without, you know, it's a two-hour wait if you haven't booked. Wonderful place to go for, for a motor race. It was a hell of a comeback to be honest, after two years of not going there. It was brilliant. Welcome to the F1 Nation podcast with Tom Clarkson, Damon Hill and me, Natalie Pinkham. It's lights out, away we go. Hamilton gets away well and he's getting towards Max Verstappen now and tries to cover him off and pushes Max Verstappen wide. Hamilton is just ahead of Verstappen. Lewis Hamilton got the dream start that he wanted. Uh, he's sliding a lot and has a lot more pace, so... I just want to tell you. Verstappen goes through turn one in the lead, then Hamilton comes out in second place. So the lead has changed hands once again. And now to the chequered flag. Hamilton has got the chase on. Hamilton's given it absolutely everything. Verstappen is keeping his cool, he's keeping his calm and composure, and he is keeping the lead as well. Max Verstappen wins the US Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton has to settle for second. The charge got close, but not quite close enough. Yes, guys. Unbelievable. (laughs) Wow. Sheer class, Max. That was classy. What a drive. What a drive. (laughs) 
But what a victory for Max Verstappen. It was a terrific race because it was so finely balanced all the way through. And there's a little bit of gamesmanship. Some of those radio calls were... I, I was surprised that Lewis was uh, on the radio saying, you know, I can't keep up the pace as he does sometimes. And you think, why are you giving the, why are you giving the game away? And then, uh, you know, Max was saying, uh, you, know, it, you know, I can see him sliding around and then pitted and completely outfoxed Mercedes, got track position back from his pole position that he lost, in effect, and then dominated or controlled a very, very tight race. It was thrilling from beginning to end. It's wonderful to see the two best drivers of the season going almost wheel to wheel. Although I felt it smouldered, but never quite sparked. I think if we'd had another five laps, that's the moment that I think we would have had a, a brilliant race. But watching that final stint, I never really felt that Lewis Hamilton was going to take the lead of that race. I know what you mean. Yes, I do know what you mean. I mean, because it's one thing to chase someone down. It's another thing to pass him. And I think that Max would have made himself three times as wide not to let him pass. You know, so hungry he was for that victory. What do we do, Tom? We just keep racing until Lewis has won it? Or what? <laughs> yeah, just keep adding laps. <laughs> you know, I know what you mean. You wanted to see them wheel to wheel. There was a, there was the start, which was, start. was pretty hot. I mean, the first lap of that was right up there with all the top first laps we've ever seen in that Formula 1, brilliant. I think. You know, going yeah. through the field. And they kept it clean. They kept, kept it clean, clean in turn one. Um, but, you know, the, the nail biter was uh, whether or not Lewis would get within uh, the one second and get his DRS open. And he, and he seemed to get close enough, but then he, he couldn't. He obviously couldn't get close enough because uh, he didn't open his DRS. So he never got a shot at that passing move and ran out of laps with, before he ran out of tyres. But the tension, I think, was what was great all the way through. And I think the, the other thing was that the, the fans and the crowd seemed to be relating to it and getting it. Everyone seemed to be clued in as to what the strat, the importance of the strategy, and what the guys were really doing in the cars. Um, so the tension was right the way through. Yeah, I totally agree. It it felt like this was the race that finally cracked America. Pinks, the thing we need to remember is that Red Bull had the fastest car this weekend. Max Verstappen was on pole by 0.2 of a second. He had more rear grip. And that's where you, uh, on a, a, high, a highly abrasive circuit like the one at Kota, with all those fast corners, particularly in sector one, um, it's the rears that let go. And he had the faster car. So the moment Lewis got ahead of him um, and he was able to sit on Lewis's gearbox in that first stint, that's the moment when I think they knew they could be aggressive. They had the faster car and therefore they could pit him earlier. And I think Mercedes were... were very nervous about their pace on the medium tyre. If they'd known in that first stint how much better Lewis would have been on the hard tyre, I think they would have pitted him earlier and we would have had a more interesting strategic race. But I think because they thought they just didn't have the pace of Red Bull, they went long and it was it was never going to... Once Max had taken the lead at the pit stop, it was never going to change. OK, so, so is that your point then, that actually the, the Red Bull strategy was reactive? Because Lewis certainly had a great start, but felt on reflection that they'd been on the back foot all weekend that had the that Red Bull had had the upper hand all weekend and yet FP1 pace contradicted that well the drop off on these Pirelli tires is such that you know the undercut is a very powerful tool so i think if you're sat in the in the Red Bull uh, strategy office you know you've got a faster car and you know that the uh, the undercut is going to work for you so even though Lewis was leading i think it was pretty clear that Max was going to take the lead of the race at the pit stops. 
I, I want to um, I want to get to the bottom of how much influence Adrian had because Adrian had this little whoopsie he on a bicycle uh, in the mm. in the summer and um, you know he's he's been away from it a bit but he's he was back there this weekend in Austin and as as Natalie said Red Bull did not look on the pace on the first you know from the very get go and Mercedes looked like they had an advantage but they worked away and they got better and better and some people feel that te- um, in Turkey Red Bull were just not optimizing the car. And actually, it wasn't so much that Mercedes had found something. It was more that Red Bull had lost something or not extracted the very best from their setup. But they, they certainly got better and better over the weekend in in Austin. And ironically, Damon, at a circuit where we certainly weren't predicting that to be the case, this is supposed to be a Mercedes stronghold. And yet again, that's contradicted. I think they were really quite shaken by this result. I think that they, you know, they know that they've got a really tough battle now to to cling on to the title. And and Lewis was he gave it his everything, didn't he? Out of the car, he was kind of he was still a bit exhausted, I think, from from trying everything and a little bit defeated. But um, he won't give up, and uh, neither will Mercedes. But uh, it's it's definitely advantage Red Bull and Max Verstappen. I think the other thing I want to mention is the role that uh, Sergio played. Because actually during the race, Sergio was actually squeezing uh, Lewis and Lewis wasn't able to drop back and save tyres quite as much as he probably wanted to because he was one point, it was only four seconds behind him. And then, you know, so I think they, f- that as a team, Red Bull did a fantastic job of using all their weapons at their disposal. And of course, Valtteri had this uh, penalty. So he was down in the dumps, you know, down at the back. He wasn't able to get up the front and help out Lewis. I think the first practice session on Friday that you've just referred to was very misleading because Mercedes were 1-2. Max Verstappen didn't get a lap together in that session. He had traffic all the way through. So uh, we all thought Mercedes were going to be as quick as, as people had predicted. But then when you speak to Mercedes, as I did after the race on Sunday evening, uh, I said, how confident were you after FP1? And they said, well, initially very confident, but then FP2 when Checo Perez was actually fastest. That was the realistic picture. And we realise now that he said two things. One, we'd been running our power unit in FP1 slightly higher, turned up slightly higher than normal. And secondly, that we didn't realise at the time just how much Max had been affected by traffic in FP1. So they had this unrealistic picture in FP1, but actually FP2 was the pitcher of the weekend. And Lewis Hamilton put in a fantastic qualifying lap to get on the front row. But that was as much coming from the driver, really, than the performance of the car. But, you know, Bottas was fourth quickest prior to his penalty. And that was a more realistic uh, picture of where the car was mm. this weekend. Could have been useful, though, couldn't he? I mean, he could have played a part if he'd managed to get ahead of Sergio in the race a little bit, you know. But... It's tight. It's so tight. It's 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 absolutely brilliant that it's come to this. And um, you know, we got these two titans. I think they showed their class and and why they are so brilliant. It's just seeing them extract the very best from the very best drivers there are out there. Um, and um, it was a, it was fantastic to watch. And the fact that we're saying that twelve points is a decent lead, <laughs> that's still very slim, isn't it? You know, only one DNF either way. I I think it's going to be difficult for Max to 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 keep his cool now because he's sort of got just a tiny little glimpse of light at the end of the tunnel, and he you know that's that little light that says you're a world champion. And I think, my God, to keep you cool now, you know, you know, you know that it can all swing the other way. In some senses, it's yours to lose. You know, so you've almost got it, 
but you you can lose it. And that's that is a tension as much as it's a relief. Sometimes it's harder to kind of hold this precious thing and protect it um, than it is to chase after something. I mean, Lewis has often said he'd prefer to be the, the predator than the, 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 the prey. What has Lewis actually got to attack with? And it looks like he's losing his ability or he's losing the things he needs to attack Max. So I think in some senses, Max is comfortable with the fact that the car can do the job for him and he can do the job. But it's it's much more difficult as you get closer and closer to the final destination. What about the fact that, that Max hasn't actually won a car single-seater championship in his career? He only did Formula 3 after Carter. Is that going to be weighing on his mind? It's like me then, <laughs> Tom. <laughs> I never won a championship until I won a four. I only, won a, only ever won two championships. One was the champion of Brands Motorcycle Championship and the other one was the Formula One World Championship. I still think though, I still think there's more pressure on Lewis than there is on Max because I think that Max will get his chance again and again and again. Mm. And Lewis wants to go for that historic eighth title. Mm. And really, this could be his last chance of doing it. I think the, the sense was that Mercedes and Lewis quite disappointed not to have got that win because I think they needed it. And, and now we're going to races where altitude and the fragility of the of the Mercedes um, power unit, or at least the ice anyway, you know, might mean they have to turn it down a bit more than they want to uh, at, at that fantastic altitude that Mexico City is, is at. But um, we don't know. Well, do you know what, though, Damon? It's so interesting because we've tried to make these predictions all season and they've always backfired, haven't they? I think this is the, the season that just keeps bringing surprises. And it could well be that Mercedes aren't at such a disadvantage at the next two circuits. Mm, we don't know. You're not convinced. Well, we don't know. That's a good We just thing. don't know. It's a great thing. Yeah, but there was so much good action all the way through the field. That I mentioned the first lap. I just think, you know, when you watch the, the dicing that went on all through the field, I think that that also was a great advert for Formula One, wasn't it? It just shows that the people are not just making up the numbers. There's so much at stake and the constructors fight between McLaren and Ferrari and and also the kind of naughtiness of uh, Fernando Alonso. I thought it was great seeing Raikkonen and, and Fernando Alonso combined age of about 82 years old or something. You know, it sounds very old, but uh, they are the oldest drivers out there, but they were giving it everything. It was fantastic to watch. Just a quick word before we move on to those battles that you mentioned, Damon, on Checo. Now, I want to know just how tough is it to do a whole race without a drink? Well, it depends, obviously. That is quite, I think that circuit is quite a hard track to drive. Lots of 20 corners and some of them are very high G and there's lots of change of direction through those S's. And it was quite warm, I believe, Tom. Was that right? Did you have a drink, Tom, during the race? I bet you did. What, what kind of drink? Well, you're not allowed to drink anything, <laughs> you know, too strong, are you? Uh, do you know what? I think Checo had been um, below par uh, in terms of his health all weekend. He turned up on Thursday um, and was very croaky, um, had, had certainly had a cold, whether it was something worse. So I think he'd been, I think that was what was tough for him in the race. Well, he did say, he did say straight after the race, it was his physically most demanding race ever. And so, you know, he may be, maybe he's a bit run down. Maybe he needs some sun's. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Pink's even Max, even Max had to take himself off before being interviewed after the race just because he was feeling it. Yeah, Max did sound out of breath. He did, didn't he? And it's quite rare, isn't it, on team radio that they're puffing and panting to that extent. But I just want to know from you, Damon, you you must have had examples of this where you're just gasping for liquid yeah. I mean, uh, well, I mean, we we did have drinks bottles, but I didn't usually drink the whole thing because after a couple of laps, it got hot and it was tasted revolting. But I used to just use it to wet the throat, you know, so I'd, I'd have a sip. Um, but some races you did, you did sweat a lot. Though, thankfully, I never did the Malaysian Grand Prix. I only got as far as the first corner, but I was a bit worried about dehydration in that one. Um, but uh, the, the one that sticks in my mind is the race I had with uh, Michael Schumacher in about, um, oh, God, was it 94? Anyway, it was about 40 degrees in France um, and Magnicourt, and uh, they were hosing down the crowd. It was so hot. Um, the fire brigade came in and kind of had great big hoses and spraying it everywhere. And anyway, off we went. Um, I was I was getting beaten. And anyway, my drinks bottle wasn't working and I was dehydrated. I was overheating. The night before in my hotel, we didn't have any air conditioning at all. <laughs> and I couldn't open the window because of the mosquitoes. So I slept naked on the bed with some wet towels and a fan blowing on me all night long. Now, there's that, an oh. image for you, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, that's the only way I could keep my temperature down. So I was already overheated before I even got to the race. Anyway, halfway through the race, I've got to come in for my tyre stop and I get on the radio to tell the team, I need some water. I need some water. My drinks are... And when I got there, they were changing the tyres and Patrick Head came out. I opened my... Uh, visor and sort of my mouth open expecting a fantastic uh, you know uh, uh, sort of um, waterfall of cold liquid down my throat and he chucked it down my neck so I didn't get any water I pit stopped it and they changed the tires and he went right off you go and I never got a drop of water so I was, uh, by the end of that race my head was banging a lot. You're busy trying to wipe it off your neck and suck your gloves, try and get any kind of liquid. I, yeah, yeah, honestly, you de- you de- you basically you sweat it out into your ovals, and actually after a bit you're lo- you're no longer wet, you're dry because you've you've expended all your fluid and you literally shrivel. You know, so things don't fit when you get out. Your trousers fall off you, and uh, you know your watch doesn't fit and stuff like that. It's incredible. Um, so dehydration is not to be recommended, but some people suffer more than others. And, and I was always staggered by Michael Schumacher. He used to get out of a race in Malaysia, not a bead of sweat on him. And he, he was sort of superhuman in that respect. But I, I definitely did not like the heat. And um, Checo did look a bit... I could tell when he was being interviewed at the end, he was having this thing where he was having to... He could talk for a bit, but he couldn't talk for too long. So he'll be recuperating right now and, um, and getting into... He won't be having a beer. I can probably safely say that it was still his best weekend for red bull i thought yeah it was i think it was fantastic yeah it definitely was uh right on cue just before the mexican grand prix wasn't it and uh no he he did he did a fabulous job actually that's interesting how that will play out because he does seem in a decent run of form i mean he nearly put it on pole it got massively uh positive reaction from the crowd as you say when he goes to mexico now 
presumably he's going to have to give way if he is ahead of Max Verstappen. Yeah, that does, that's that's a problem that <laughs> they might have to navigate their way through. But um, diplomatically, he conceded ground to Max in the S's in the first lap, was it? I think or second second lap. So you know, I think he knows that he's he's there to to help. But um, who would want to have to relinquish a possible Mexican Grand Prix victory if you're a Mexican driver? <laughs> He's doing a show car run on Wednesday in Mexico City. I mean, that is going to be something, isn't it? The whole place is going to grind. Well, it grinds to a halt anyway because of the traffic, doesn't it? But but it's going <laughs> to be... Can't grind to any more of a halt, can it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But he, he was saying yesterday, he said, I cannot wait. It's going to be something else. Because he did a show car run in Dallas just before uh, this race. And the reception he got there was was incredible, apparently. But Mexico City will be something else, won't it? And they will go there in such good spirits. Their 200th podium for Red Bull, double podium in Texas. You know, they're riding the crest of a wave at the moment, aren't they? When you consider... The swing from Turkey. I mean, I just find it such a crazy season that we're just swinging back and forth, which actually prompts me to ask you both again, have you reviewed your decision that you would prefer, given the choice, to be in a Mercedes than a Red Bull? Uh, yeah, I'm changing it virtually every race. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I, I always did like the look of the Red Bull, I, uh, but I've been surprised that sometimes it, it, it didn't look as um, as strong. But, you know. It swings backs and forwards, doesn't it? A couple of tenths, maybe every race. Where has there been much more than a, you know, three tenths of a, a gap? As as Lewis had four tenths on. Yeah, I think he might have been in Turkey. Was quite a long way ahead, wasn't he? But as I said, th I think that could have been as much Red Bull not getting their setup or maximising what they were doing. Um, they probably needed a bit of Adrian Newey's magic uh, kind of ingredients, whatever he does. You know, his magic wand. I'm with you. I, I I think we've all changed our minds, haven't we, since the last race? That the Red Bull is the one to be in, and I think that will stick for Mexico. Uh, but then, if Brazil is another Red Bull race, yeah, probably want to be in, in in it there. But then everyone is saying that Qatar is going to be more of a of a Mercedes track. So I, I want to be in both. In fact, no, I don't want to be in either. I want to be in Dale Earnhardt's 1984. Chevy, Monte Carlo, NASCAR. Did you guys see that? Did you see Daniel Ricciardo do his thing? Did I see it? I, I went down in Devon with the kids. Yeah. I could see his smile across the pond. Oh. So big was that cheesy grin of his. I mean, that was wonderful, wasn't it? The fans absolutely love Daniel Ricciardo here. Did you see there was a onesie? There's a Daniel Ricciardo onesie. I actually want one of them. It's quite early in the morning here. I had to take my onesie off because I was embarrassed for you guys to see it. I mean, Dan, he just does things differently. I don't the driver's parade. He he was just wearing a Texas Longhorns top. There was no McLaren clothing or anything. You know, he and and to be fair to Zach Brown, the boss of McLaren, he lets him do it because they see the bigger picture. So they see the marketing benefit. I mean, it's what's good for Daniel's good for McLaren. I think it ranked this weekend as the most loved team by the fans at the moment. But also, you know, they're, they're both performing well. They both seem happy, certainly much happier in recent races for Daniel. But it's just it's just got a good energy about it, hasn't it? Carlos Sainz under pressure from Danny Ricciardo trying to get in the slipstream, but he touched the back of the Ferrari and had to just drop back a bit. There goes Ricciardo. Here comes Lando Norris down the inside. It's Ferrari and McLaren. What a battle. Norris on the inside. 
Sainz is pushed wide and still somehow stays ahead of his former teammate. Ricardo nips on the inside now, Lando Norris to get that place back, and it's all happening on lap one here. Let's talk Ferrari and McLaren, because that was quite a battle, wasn't it? It was terrific. Guys, it's a really interesting battle, this Ferrari-McLaren one, isn't it? In that it does ebb and flow from race to race, except that Ferrari are getting some proper momentum now. Really strong in Turkey. They had the quicker car here as well, in Austin. And there's now only three and a half points between them in the Constructors' Championship battle. So... Everyone's saying, oh, it's going to go down to the wire. But I think McLaren are on the back foot and they, they need to um, they need to maximise what they've got at every race if they're going to hold on to that P3 because Ferrari are strong. And- Tom, they should be strong. You know, we're, 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 we're witnessing them going through a bit of a, a, a dip in performance. I mean, they, there should be a front-running team with the budget they have, the experience they have. They should re-ride up there. I mean, McLaren obviously are not um, underfunded, but they're not nearly as funded as... Uh, as uh, Ferrari are, and they've been doing an amazing job with what they've got. But um, yeah, it's. I mean, Charles did a good job in the race, but nobody really saw it <laughs> because he was sort of in no man's land. So yeah, Leclerc P4, Sainz P7, Ricardo P5, and Norris P8. So yeah, they definitely walk, well, bounce out of uh, Cota with more of a spring in their step. Particularly Daniel. Daniel Ricciardo, I think, had a really strong weekend. Outqualified Lando Norris, outraced him. Lando, interestingly, after the race, admitting that he didn't drive well this weekend. But Daniel's, there's something about him. I, I, I don't want to say this is the moment where it's going to turn good for, for Daniel Ricciardo. He's been strong since the summer break. But he looks really convincing this weekend over one lap and in the race and, and off track as well. I mean, the state of mind of drivers is a really interesting subject, and and you know he he would he eulogised about you know how much he loves going to the states, and I think sometimes that does lift your state of mind, your state, your performance, and you just get that extra. You find that thing that's been sort of resting or or, or sort of um, hiding away uh, that you need to give you inspiration, and he definitely, I'd agree with you, he was definitely on good form. In that race, as was um, Yuki Sonoda, uh, Natalie, I thought, this weekend. Yes. So, you know, you have something there to, to be pleased about. Yuki's back in your good books. Yeah, well, so Yuki finished inside the points, P9. Not such a happy place the other side of the garage for poor old Pierre Gasly, uh, DNF with suspension issues. And Pinks, don't gloss over Yuki. Oh, well, sorry. What else? Could, what else do you want me to say? Well, I just, you know, you are the president and CEO of the... Of the Yuki Sonoda fan club. Give us a bit more. I th- Pinks, he was in Q3 as well for the second race in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Fair play to him. I mean, it's it's a case of tough love. I haven't talked about him much recently. <laughs> and uh, he's performing better. So I'm going to carry on with that. And hope, and hope that he climbs up the order. First podium for the end of the season. Yeah, that's a tall order. That would be amazing. Yeah. Okay, that's, yeah, yeah. But yeah. we've got... Pardon well, the pun. We've got... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Well, no more, uh, no more kind of uh, heightest jokes. Thank you. Um, but took, we got we had Shaq and Neil basically putting everyone in the shade oh, wow. over the weekend. I'm yeah. sorry, but that so, that was a highlight for me. I mean, that was just brilliant. And did you did you notice that all the the Red Bull mechanics swamped his crazy cartoonish vehicle that he the came long in? Horn vehicle. They all jumped. Yeah, they all jumped in it, and then he just made his way up to the. Uh, the podium. Well, he needn't have bothered. I mean, he could have just handed the trophy straight up to them from the ground. Well, 
Pink's really funny moment after the race was to watch Shaq having to bend down to walk into the exactly, FIA garage, exactly. right? He just dipped <laughs> he his head, to... didn't he? I loved it. <laughs> I want to see Yuki on the podium this time next year and Shaq giving him the because <laughs> that would just be too cute. Yeah. <laughs> Alonso and Kimi Raikkonen as they go wheel to wheel and Raikkonen gets pushed wide and they almost touch and come a cropper at turn one. Raikkonen and Alonso separated at by half a millimetre it seemed going through there before Alonso had to back out. Uh, Raikkonen overtook me outside the step one. I need the position with Copy. Yeah, not a great day to be in an Alpine. Double DNF. And I don't know what you thought, Damon, about... The whole Alonso Raikkonen incident. This idea that there are certain rules for some and not for others. I think the fans just want a bit of consistency, as do the drivers, don't they? Yeah, but there we get we get. I mean, but there is a there is a reality to this here, which is that there is such a thing as the edge of the track, and if you run off the edge of the track, I mean, we saw. I think even Max in qualifying was it turn six where he just went straight over the. The, the inside curb and kind of didn't make the hot that didn't go round the the racetrack it's, itself so and, and then that was happening a little bit during the race and then of course with overtaking people being pushed off being pushed wide and then coming back getting on the gas on the runoff and then getting a bit of a squirt on and getting their place back is that fair racing and that's the debate and that's what we haven't got an answer to right now because that's what happened with Alonso and and Raikkonen and then later on um, with Giovinazzi as well. And so Fernando just dove down the inside when <laughs> was never going to make the corner, went on to the runoff and then rejoined and, and tried to fight for his position. So that was when the debate started as to when is it when is it OK and when is it is, is it not OK to rejoin the track and keep your position? Um, so, you know, it's a real it's a problem because we have these runoffs so drivers can get away with going wide. The trouble is whether they go, they get away and also gain an advantage. I mean, he's, he was a bit naughty in Russia, wasn't he, Fernando? He went straight across the, the runoff thing and rejoined the track and kind of avoided all the me- the melee and, of getting through the, the traffic. I mean, it, whether he gained a position or not didn't really matter because he just avoided having an accident or losing his front wing, which was quite clever. But it's, it's te- he's testing those boundaries, isn't he? He's testing that argument. That's what Fernando does, Damon. That's what they should all do, though, isn't yeah. it? In every department. But when it comes to track limits, one thing I've, I've never fully understood is why the FIA specifies certain corners. So here in Austin, it was what? Turn one, turn nine, turn 19. Why don't we just say that the white line is the track limit all the way around the racetrack? And just dump a load of gravel on the other side of it. Yeah, well, yeah. They, they used to. You know, they, they, they literally did have tracks with no runoff. You know, they had curbs because what would used to happen was the inside of the curb would get worn away and there would be a great big hole. And then people would put a wheel in that and lose their wheel or, or crash. So they put curbs in and gradually over time, they put more and more curbs in until eventually they, they tarmacked over the whole place. <laughs> You know, and then just drew some lines on it, and so it's there has to be some jeopardy, I think, for for running off the track. And grass seems to work really well. I mean, in slow corners, anyway. You know, I don't see when you've got an exit of a corner, a bit of grass is a bloody good deterrent for for putting a wheel off. There were some curbs on the outside of turn one right up until the start of the race, um, but the the W series had their final round 
here in Austin. Oh, yes. Congratulations to Jamie Chadwick. Yeah, yeah. Second time she's won it, isn't it? But uh, yeah. two. She's of... signed herself a million dollars. Yeah. Uh, I don't think. <laughs> she, and I don't it? think they want her back next year. I don't think she can do it again next oh, you year. You can't keep coming back <laughs> and taking the prize. <laughs> but two of their cars got launched over these exit curbs at turn one. So they, they took them out uh, just before the start of the race. So that's why uh, turn one suddenly became a track limits issue during the race. But there was a little bit of me that wanted them to stay. You know, you run wide, you might get launched over a curb or stay off the curb. Mm, well, anyway, it's it's always been a little bit of a bugbear. I mean, we had lots of laps di- um, disallowed after, was it turn 19? Um, you know, that, that runoff on the last but one corner. And, and actually, Matt's got a warning during the race as well. And I thought that was a bit careless because um, you don't want to put yourself under that pressure. But, um, you know, there, there are some corners where they apply it and other corners they don't. And I think that uh, Fernando, being Fernando, uh, was, was testing the limits. And um, he, I thought it was fantastically entertaining. What can I say? I thought his dive down the inside of Giovinazzi was fantastic. And his battle with, with Raikkonen as well was fantastic. I thought that was pure entertainment. Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? At this stage in his career, in a car like an Alpine, just go for it. I mean, what have you got to lose? Yeah, well, we had we had Mario on last last week, uh, Natalie, and you know he was very much in favour of just letting the letting them fight. But the trouble is, he did say at the end, you know, and unless of course it's someone's deliberate, you know, deliberately crashes into someone, which happens sadly in our sport, it does happen. And um, let's hope it doesn't happen this season. But on the topic of Alpine, really disappointing race this for them. Double DNF for the first time this year, and um, uh, and it, this comes. Just after Laurent Rossi, the big boss of Alpine, said, yep, we've got a 100 race plan to get the team to the top of Formula One. Well, there's only 99 to go now and um, until they're going to be winning <laughs> world championships. Well, they started at the bottom, so they can, they can only yeah. go forward from there. But yeah, not, not, too, not too impressive. Shame, really, because they were looking quite punchy at one point. I thought they were on the move. I thought they were, you know, but the cars... They're still struggling a little bit to to keep up with the pace of the development of the other guys. Um, so we're going to have to wait for next year's car, the 2022, which was the 2021 car, um, the 2022 car and see what they come up with. And it's an interesting constructors championship battle between Alpine in fifth and AlphaTauri in sixth. AlphaTauri now only 10 points behind Alpine. And I think the general consensus is that the, the Alpha Tauri is the faster car. Mm, if, definitely. I mean, think how many points they've left on the table. Yeah. And if your your mate Yuki is now going to start <laughs> delivering points, then I could, you know, Gasly had a suspension issue and, and couldn't finish the race here. But, um, you know, if they start banging in double points finishes, Alpine, that fifth place is looking dodgy for them. Mm. Damon, I really enjoyed your tweet about feeling strange about settling down yeah. At 10 o'clock at night for quali. I mean, it was kind of strange. Yeah, I felt like I missed something. You know, it was like, oh, surely I've missed it. You know, yeah, why are we coming at 10 o'clock at night? And I'm sitting down with a bowl of cornflakes and uh, and watching <laughs> watching Formula One. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I couldn't work out if I loved it or it just felt uh, incongruous in a way because the race started at eight o'clock. Now, I'm sure there will be other parents listening that given that it's half term, didn't know whether to put their kids to bed before the race or after. My two were pushing and pushing and pushing, obviously to stay up for the whole race, but of course then they were climbing all over me, very difficult to concentrate on what was going on. And I let them stay up and then I had to pause it, which I can never do. You can't pause live sport 
chuck them in bed, come back out and restart the race. But of course, every three minutes, because I hadn't properly settled them down, mummy, they're coming back out again. Our listeners will be very sympathetic, or, you know, or slightly jealous of the fact that we can normally sit down during the daytime and have a fixed time. Other, t- other people have to get up at three in the morning or whatever and around the world and watch races. So I was getting a few replies to the effect of, well, now you know what it's like. (laughs) (laughs) I used to love as a teenager waking up in the middle of the night to watch the Japanese Grand Prix or the Australian Grand Prix. There was something so exotic about it. Yeah. I think it's easier to watch a race at 10 o'clock at night than, well, the people here in Austin are having to get up at six, right? I'd rather watch it at 10 at night than six in the morning. Yeah, I, I think. think I can agree with that. Yeah, we'll yeah. go with that. Well, they've done a fantastic job of, ter- I mean, it must be, they must, the reason they were so excited is because they were actually watching a race when they were awake. <laughs> <laughs> so just how significant is this moment in the championship, do you think, chaps? It's an 18th win for Max. I think to beat Lewis Hamilton at Cota is a real coup in itself. And it feels as if the momentum is back with Max. It certainly is in terms of the points, a 12-point advantage. Is this defining? I I think Max feels will feel like he's got two fingers on the trophy it's not it's not a whole one-handed grip or even a two-hand grip yet but it's two, definitely two fingers and I think he'll know that and um I think there'll be a little bit more of a releasing of pressure for him going into the next few races I think he's given two fingers to Lewis Hamilton I don't think the points gap is relevant at this stage uh, I think 12 points it can ebb and flow we're going to see we're going to see many more twists and turns so i think the points doesn't matter but i think to beat lewis at cota his track you said earlier in the pod pinks this has been a mercedes stronghold and for them to uh, yeah to outwit them a little bit but also to have the faster car here is a huge huge psychological boost to Red Bull and I think they'll ride that for a while it was great you know that's what they love they relish it don't they they love those uh, challenges but um, it's been many years I'm trying to rack my brains to think when I've seen a title lead in a championship change as many times as this during the season it's a real switchback and um, I'm thinking maybe it was PK and Mansell or something like that I can't remember you know how long do you go back well Rosberg was Rosberg Hamilton in 16 a bit like this I can't remember but, but right though from race to race it's not as if you know it's two or three races and then momentum swings back it's like a game of table tennis pinging backwards and forwards and what makes this so much more interesting than for me than Rosberg Hamilton is the fact it's two different teams there are so many more unknowns coming in you know we knew that they were and gonna... approaching it differently two yes. teams approaching it so differently it's got everything I think already it's a classic season and there's something down the line we don't know yet is coming. What is it? We shall see. Okay, so here we go. Favourite bit of the show once again, it's Ask Damon. So what have you got for us? Let's have the first question. Hello, Damon. This is Carlos from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Last episode, you mentioned having the best car on the grid in 1996. It made me wonder about 1993. Do you also think that was the best car? And how do you compare these two? Thank you. Carlos, you got me there. Actually, you know, to say 93 was also the best car. Um, but I, the only thing I can say about 93 was that I had to kind of, I had to play sort of second fiddle to Alain Prost a little bit. And it was my first season in, in uh, Formula One, full, a full season in Formula One anyway. I knew I had the, the right equipment, but I wasn't able to um, perhaps 
do what I wanted to do as I could do in 96. So, um, yeah, I wasn't title favourite or anything in 93, but you're absolutely right. The car in 96, was the 93 Big Bum was um, was an absolutely um, stonking car and um, basically wiped the floor with nearly everyone. What was the active ride like, Damon? Okay, so active ride is um, to explain to people who have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> it basically means it's got a computer that can measure the ride height of the car much more accurately than a normal uh, springs and dampers suspension setup. So if you imagine the faster you go, the more the car is squashed down onto the road with a springs and dampers car. The problem with that is the car springs back up again when it gets to a slow corner. And so the ride height increases and a lot of the downforce under the car is created by the gap between the floor and the ground. So you don't want that big gap. You want it to stay low. So what would you have with an active car is the ability to keep it at the optimum ride height at all times, no matter how fast you're going. And so that was that was an aerodynamic massive advantage. And if you look at photographs of the 93 car, it almost looks like it's the suspension's broken because it looks like it's literally flat on the ground. There's hardly any gap. And, and the front ride height we could control by one millimeter. And it was, it was, you know, measured in, you know, five millimeters off the front of the ground. And, and the other, the rear of the car was about 20 or 30 millimeters. It was nothing, but it could control The computer can do all this controlling. So we had the ability to play with the platform that the car was on. So it's also a platform control device. So you could tilt it you could lift the back when you wanted to sometimes when you accelerate you want it to squat it was a lot of fun to play with god carlos those debriefs must have been fun mustn't they <laughs> well you know it, it it was basically i'll tell you one story just to give you some idea it was paddy Lowe was the, the famous um guy who i worked with who worked on the system and the control system of the car i'd say okay so what what do you want me to do and he said well what do you want to do i can do anything I can make the car do anything you like and make it bank, lean into a corner like a motorcycle. I can make it lean the other way like a sidecar outfit. <laughs> you know, it could, it basically, you could, it could make it do whatever you wanted. And that was a whole new world. Obrigado, Carlos. And the next question, please. Hi, Damon, Tom and Natalie. This is Catherine from the lovely state of North Dakota in the U.S. I'm a brand new F1 fan as of this year, and I am completely obsessed but I'm wondering if you think there will ever be a time in the near future when there will be at least a few women on the grid. I enjoy keeping up with W Series. Jamie Chadwick and Alice Powell are awesome. And I noticed Aston Martin added Jess Hawkins as a driver ambassador this year as well. There have got to be plenty of very talented women who deserve a shot at F1, right? Thank you for your insight, and I really love the podcast. Yes, yes, and yes again, Catherine. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. We need to be doing more to support women coming into the sport, but it is happening. It is still 88% male in this sport, which is bonkers, really, when you think about it. Uh, but there is talent coming through, and we have to a responsibility to shine the light on that talent. And we have a responsibility to show young women that coming into F1 in whatever capacity, not just driving, is a viable career option. And we only do that by having relatable role models. So there's girls up and down the paddock and we have to bring them to the attention of the fans to show them that it's an exciting and meritocratic 
place to be. Catherine, North Dakota. Um, yeah, fantastic. You're interested and you're interested in finding out or hoping that uh, there's some someone's going to make the breakthrough. And you mentioned some of the great names already who are making a name for themselves in the W Series. And the W Series is designed to make a platform for uh, female drivers to to show their stuff. So that's working, I think, in that respect. And, th- and there have been obviously other female drivers throughout history who've made it into a Formula One. So it can be done. It needs maybe more numbers. I think that's the the thing is is if you if you take a pool of a thousand people, you know, maybe one in a thousand people have got what it takes to be in in Formula One. So we need to widen the pool. And that's what the W Series is hoping to do. It's trying to entice people in. And Damon, you need to get the girls coming in at karting. I think they do come in, Tom, don't they? They come in, they do come in in karting. I mean, there's quite a lot of... And don't forget that uh, Max Verstappen's mum was a karter as well and quite a successful one. And his sister. All of that is true, but we just need... I feel that's, you know, of, of 100,000 kids coming into karting, what percentage of those are female? We need a greater number coming in at that level. Okay, so so it is all about perception and therefore it is our responsibility to be shouting from the rooftops that there is nothing that precludes a woman, physical or otherwise, in terms of driving a car, you know? And, and I think that we just have to change and break down these barriers that it, it's, it's, a, it's a man's world. It's not anymore. And... I chatted to Jamie Chadwick before she started the W Series and she said one of the key points for her for the W Series was the fact that it was allowing track time. She used to race against Lando when they were teenagers and often beat him, but she she wasn't getting the track time. She wasn't pounding in lap after lap. And W Series offers her the opportunity to do it. I mean, now she's won it for a second time, maybe, maybe not for a third year, but we just need to keep creating opportunities and it's about building perception, reality, perception, reality. And then suddenly you've opened the whole world up and said, you know what, this is a, this is a sport that you're all very much welcome and invited into. And Jamie is a Williams driver, isn't she? It'd be wonderful yeah. to see her do some FP1s next year. And I think the point is, is that you, you have to be able to turn on the telly and see relatable role models that you want to emulate. But it's down to us as broadcasters of the sport to say, you know what? There is so much opportunity here. People ask me all the time, is Formula One sexist? And my answer every time is no. When you're in, it's a meritocracy and you've got the opportunity to flourish. It's getting in that's the hard part. And that is all about perception. We have an absolute responsibility to open this up. And that's what we can do through this podcast. That's what we can do through every bit of content we ever generate. Those are great questions and uh, I think it's fantastic that we're hearing from all of you out there across the planet, uh, wherever you might be. So if you've got a burning question that you really want to know the answer to, then send in a voicemail message to askdamonhill at gmail.com. I think we leave Cota, both literally, physically and metaphorically, in mine and Damon's case, with really full hearts and sort of bolstered by the passion that we've seen from the American fans. It would be great to see a third race. I'd love to see it in New York, still my favourite city in the world. And I think that there's such an appetite for it. I don't know, I I felt such a massive sense of pride of being involved with a sport that is constantly asking the questions, pushing boundaries, taking it to new audiences, bringing on fans like Catherine and 
women, girls, boys, all from every corner of the earth are interested in this sport. And that's, it's such a privilege for us to work in it and to be a part of it. I'd like to see it go west, Pinks. I feel next year we've got, oh, we've got Miami covering the East Coast. We've got yeah. Austin covering Central. Okay. And is there a more iconic racetrack in the US than, than Long Beach? Let's head there. I think it would be uh, an awesome, awesome racetrack. It's a track that race fans in the US know, understand. and um, Do they still race at Long Beach? Yeah, IndyCar's there. It's a very IndyCar, short track. Okay. We may have to sort of yeah. find a way of lengthening it. There's so many. I mean, it's a big place in America. There's lots of places you can have uh, motor racing. I mean, you're right. You want to be somewhere where there, you want to be close to a population center and it wants to be a nice place to go. You don't want to put it in some industrial park somewhere that no one's going to go to. But Damon, that's why Austin. Austin works so well for that exact reason. That's true. They've got so much space. But just imagine the Manhattan skyline as the backdrop for a Formula One race. Oh, I don't think we should leave out. We, we shouldn't leave out. I mean, a number of our callers have come from various far-flung places in the United States. I don't think we should leave out North Dakota or Alaska. I think we definitely oh, should still yes. put them on the list. <laughs> you know, why not have an anchorage? Yeah. Um, the ice know, track. Um, yeah. Ice racing. Or something like that. I don't know. It just, you know, just yes. somewhere out of the ordinary. Well, look, as ever, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, chaps. Great to have you back, Nats. Tom, we've enjoyed that, haven't we? Yeah, it's been great. And what a race to reflect on and... and I can't wait for Mexico. Only two weeks. I can't believe there's going to be more of this. I can't take yeah. it anymore. <laughs> F1 Nation has been produced by Formula One in association with Audio Boom Studios.